The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Today, we are joined by Carrie Oberbrunner, who is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author of 11 books in multiple genres ranging from business to fiction to technology, founder of Igniting Souls, a company that helps you write, publish, and market your book the right way, founder of Blockchain Life, a company that developed a patent-pending proprietary process that protects your intellectual property cheaper faster and easier. In today's show, we're going to discuss his book, Showed Up, Filled Up, How to Get What You Want Out of People and Life. Carrie, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Hey, it's great to be here, Casey. Likewise. I saw you a couple months ago, and last time I saw you, we had these motorized scooters going around Indianapolis, and that was like the wildest time. I felt like a kid again. And, oh, my uh, gosh. Wasn't that wild? That was so good. I think I... um Never try to ride the, that scooter and record with your phone in a city because I was trying to do that to capture the moment, but it, it was not the best. So. Yeah, we, we were at a uh, conference called VCon and we got connected originally through your thing, Blockchain Life, which we're going to talk yes. about here in a little bit. And it was an amazing conference full of leaders. And we're going to talk about leaders and leadership here in a little bit because you do a lot of private coaching and you're one of the go-to people for people that are authors and speakers, and you're a really trusted resource in just mm -hmm. the entrepreneur and leadership field. So we're going to talk about that, but I know you're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. You were like a Brewers fan oh, growing yeah. up, Paul Molitor. Oh, yeah. talk, talk about that. Hey, listen, man. So um, I we didn't have a lot of money back then, but I think the fan appreciation was like this club thing, and they would send you out a magazine once a month in milwaukee i don't know if they have this anywhere else but the police officers would have brewer baseball cards so from a young age we would always try to have the police you know we try to flag them down and say hey can we have some baseball cards so then they they give us baseball cards but yeah i mean that was the day it shows my age but i don't know anything about baseball today but back in the day man with t-ball uh, we had Robin Yount, uh, what was it? Pete Vukovic or something like that. Um, you know, Robin Yount, like those were the days, man, that, that I was around and paying attention to baseball. Yeah. I remember Robin Yount's 3000th hit. I remember, I don't know how old I was at the time. Something tells me it was like the early nineties, but I remember it was like a bleeder over the shortstop's head. And wow. he was like one of the first guys I remember as a kid because I was a shortstop. So okay. um, super cool memories there. Well, that's awesome. And uh, I'm glad we survived those scooters in Indianapolis. And let's maybe talk about that. We were at this conference and there was a lot of really cool speakers and leaders. And you yeah. do some private coaching with leaders. Yeah. What are some of the things that you have found and whether they're people that you've heard speak on stages or people that you've coached and mentored that you have found that, you know, kind of great leaders do. Well, I wrote a book about it. It's called show up filled up. And here's what I realized at a young age, everybody wants something from the leader, from the influencer. 
And I realized this because I did it wrong, Casey, for so many years. I was the guy who good motives, but I wanted to connect with big people. You know, I've always wanted to do big things with, with big people. So unfortunately, I used to try a very selfish strategy, which was I got to get this person's attention. Well, guess what? You're not an outlier when you take on that position because everybody wants the leader's attention. Everybody's trying to get an Oprah's ear or, you know, John Maxwell's ear or whoever you think is the person. They're all, I mean, they are peppered every day with favors, asks, partnerships, deals. Hey, what, you know, can I grab five minutes? And we don't realize it, but it's all me, 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 me. So I remember being at Catalyst Conference back in 2008, and this was when I was a pastor. I used to be a pastor, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I got invited to the Cool Kids Club. It was the Catalyst, you know, green room, and there was everybody there, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, like all, all the big people that were in the church world back then. And I'm like, oh, man, I just got to get their attention. You know, I just got to get on their radar because I will, I want, who knows what I wanted. Maybe I wanted them to endorse my book. Maybe I wanted them to partnership, uh, do a partnership. I don't even know what I wanted, but the point is this, like it was such a turnoff and it's such a bad strategy and, and you, you actually become categorized in a big leader's mind when you do that. I've even heard people come up to Casey, for example, and be like, Casey, it's so glad I'm so glad to meet you. I'm such a fan. Even that presentation immediately disqualifies you from being a partner because nobody partners with fans. You see what I'm saying? I, I sure do. So, you know, you're in the business of helping other people connect with other people, and we can never accomplish anything on our own. So yeah. In business, it is about connections. How do you or what are some of the principles you teach in your book specifically and what are the results that people are ultimately going to get by applying that? So I have a strategy called show up, filled up. Totally different. I have a glass here. Let's just use it as an example. Many times, like I just said in 2008, when I went up to people, I actually had an empty glass. And people feel the empty glass. They feel like you are needing something from them. They feel like there is a deficit there. And it's an energy thing. Not to be woo-woo, but you just know. Here's examples. Casey, can I get five minutes to pick your brain? Like, that sounds maybe okay. Or here's another one. Casey, I love your, I love your podcast. If you ever need anything, anything, I'm here for you. Even that statement is totally wrong. And people might be like, whoa, why is that wrong? Here's why it's wrong. Oprah's never going to be like, man, I want some pizza. Who was that guy that I met that one time that said, if I need anything, I could call him. Oh, oh yeah, what's his name? Casey, oh yeah, no. Nobody's going to do that. So here's what that statement's actually saying. I don't care enough to study you to know what you need before you even need it. You see what I'm saying? I, I, I think I do, but go a well, little deeper. Give me an me. example. How have I been able to partner with John Maxwell, who like was my mentor and I'm paying him to learn from him. And now 
last year I got a check from him to be a service provider for him and his publishing company with with uh, with market book marketing. Dan Sullivan, how did I go from paying him to be in his group to now Dan's paying me? And actually, he doesn't hide this strategy. Dan gives me all of his royalties for his books. What? Like, hold on, Dan wrote him. Why is he giving me all the royalties? Good question. We can unpack that sometime. But here's the point, and he's the world's foremost entrepreneurial coach. You know, you name it, whoever it is, whoever's big or you think is big, how am I able to get inside and be trusted? Well, the thing is, I study these people. Casey, so I absolutely study these people. So I know where the gap is in what they need. Okay? So I don't say, hey, Casey, I, you're amazing. I'm a fan. If you ever need anything, I identify a need and I say, you know what? How can I serve John Maxwell? Because, and here's what people listening to this might think. How can I serve anybody? Nobody needs anything. How, what does Oprah need? What does Warren Buffett need? Let's take that for example. Here's a, here's a strategy. What does Warren Buffett need? Interesting question. Well, here's a true story. You can Google it. A reporter wants five minutes with him. She has been asking for years to get five minutes with him. He's always rejected her. Always. Now I'm too busy. Finally, after her persistence, she gets two minutes. So he says, fine, I'll be at this conference. Meet me back here. You got two minutes. She starts the interview by saying, Mr. Buffett, before we start this interview, I wanted to bring you your favorite beverage, a can of cherry Coke, because we're going to focus on you and this interview is all about you. And therefore, I wanted to bring you your favorite beverage. He says, young lady, you've just earned yourself two hours. Now, Warren Buffett could buy Coca-Cola. <laughs> you see the difference? But she came in at a key time when everybody is always saying, what can, I, what can I get from Warren? What can I get from Warren? She came in and said, I know that this is his favorite thing, and I'm going to put him first. Serving, not selling. So again, it doesn't have to be this massive Oh my gosh, you know, John Maxwell needs X, Y, Z. Little things. I mean, if you really want me to unpack this, I'll just say, you know what? Every big person has gatekeepers. Nobody serves the gatekeepers. So your client that you're trying to get to is not the big person. It's the executive assistant. And you make the executive assistant your hero. And you treat him or her amazing. And you find out what they need. And guess why? Because everyone's coming to the gatekeeper 24-7. And here comes this guy, Casey. And he's a giver. And he's not going to be an embarrassment that gets the gatekeeper in trouble. And he takes care of the gatekeeper. And he's low maintenance. And now all of a sudden you've trusted the gatekeeper and then they open the door. Now, how did I do this? I bought custom pens for John Maxwell's entire team. I don't even think he knows this. 
but I went to his conference one year and I had gotten names of all of his key people, like 30 key people. Nobody ever wants to talk to these 30 people because nobody cares. Everybody cares about the leader, the influencer, the big person at the top. So I went and found out, how do you spell this person's name, this person's name, this person's name, this person, 30 people. And how did I get those 30 people's names? Because I found the one gatekeeper who gave me the 30 people's names. And I treated them well and I earned a little trust and I went to the bigger crowd. So I show up Casey and these are custom wood pens and they're engraved with everybody's name. Now, did I ever get anything from that? I don't even know. That's the other point of this. You don't do this to get. In fact, there's a principle. It's, it's eight steps in this book, but one of the steps is defer the ask. Okay? Because everybody, everybody who's a giver in the industry, everybody who's amazing, there's this unwritten rule that says they want to get even with gratitude and generosity. So if you treat other people amazing and they're a giver, they're like, it bugs them. It's almost like biblically Esther. Remember when Esther gets favor and the king's like, man, I'm going to give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. What do you want? And she's like, you know what? I want to, I want a picnic with you. Now she's in his head. Wait, I just gave her up to half the kingdom and, and she asked for a picnic. So now, like, the whole night he's thinking about it. Like, what the heck? A picnic. She deferred the ask. Then the next day, he's like, okay, I'm coming to the picnic. Now what do you want? And she's like, come to another picnic with me. Like, the point is this. Like, you defer the ask. You don't say, oh, great. Now I can cash in all the currency and credibility that I built. And here's why I really was nice. And so what happens, Casey, the whole book is built around the Zig Ziglar principle. If you help people get what they want, they will help you get what you want. Everybody loves that quote. Everybody I've ever talked with is like, oh my gosh, I love that quote. But nobody teaches you the steps to do it until this book. So they, they know the quote. They believe in it. You have the book to give them the process. But I would imagine even if they read the book, it's hard to do it. And I'm just thinking of me and we're all selfish in nature. Why do people not defer the ask? Why are people sending out these prospecting emails or sending out these messages just thinking, okay, I need this from this person? Like, why are people doing it the opposite way they should? Short term focus. They're looking for the quick win and people reveal themselves. So I'll give you a quick example. I get asked all the time, you know, can I meet with you, Carrie? Can, can I get five minutes? Can I pick your brain? You know, and again, it's not because I'm all that. It's just, you know, you, you're bald. You have a girl's name and you've been around in the business long enough. You get, you get asked. So here's what I do. I, I filter people. I say, so I literally to save time, Casey, I'll give you this later, but, um, I have a loom video that I say, Dear, you know, Paul, thank you so much for your request. In order to honor your time and mine, I've created a quick video. Please watch before I can commit to your request to meet. The video says, you're getting this video because um, you've asked to meet with me. First of all, thank you. I'm honored for your request. 
What I've discovered is that most people, when they meet, they don't know what they really want. Honestly, they don't really know what they want. And so what I've done is, I've, is I'm sharing a tool with you from my mentor and coach, Dan Sullivan, called an impact filter. I'm asking you to please complete this impact filter. Why? Because when you complete it, when you and I do meet, our depth of our chat will be 10x what it would have been prior to filling this out. Why? Because clarity attracts, confusion repels. Thanks so much. Um, if you complete the impact filter and it doesn't seem like I'm your best fit, I may recommend you to one of the key people that I know. Now, now Casey, were you offended by that? No. Okay, guess how many people actually complete the impact filter? 20%. I don't, you know, want, I'd say 10 yeah, I'd say 10% because you know what people are like, who's impact filter? What, what, what the heck? When, when, what they don't understand is I've actually helped them. I've, I'm actually helping them get clear on their request so they can actually get what they truly want, but they're not willing to do the work. So everybody, the majority, not everybody, the majority is in it for the short term. Yeah. And I remember how we got connected. It was true. If you remember, it was, I was a guest on Ian Garlic's podcast and That's he's right. like, he knew my skill set and what I do and he knew you and what you were building. And he made that connection and I obviously filled it out. Right. And then we connected. And then my goal on that. Did you was, fill out the impact filter? I don't know if I would have filled out the impact filter because what's interesting is I think it was a warm introduction to you. And that yeah. is something I want to talk about too, is a warm introduction versus a cold introduction. So yeah. I'm not sure if I filled out the impact filter, but what I probably did do, because you probably get referrals to many people and connections to many people is I made myself at least stand out in some way where I'm like, Hey, I want to help you. And I remember you were working on some things and I remember we had a couple conversations on Saturdays about blockchain life and you were kind of bouncing ideas off of me and I was kind of giving you my feedback and there was no monetary benefit from either of us. I was just trying to add value, not because I needed something, honestly, just because that's what I love to do. Now, earlier in my life and career, and I want to talk about this, Carrie, I was hungry. Yeah. I had to make money. I had to get a deal. I had to get a client. Now I'm kind of good. So adding value to people is just good, right? Yeah. But a lot of people, they need to get that promotion. They need to get that next deal. They're hungry. They need to get some selfish gain or some personal gain out of relationships like quick. Do you believe that? Or how do you kind of talk to that person that is actively looking at other people saying, what can they do for me? Or how can they get me what I want? How do you get them to switch their mindset? I'd say, of course, they need the quick win. So does everybody. And this is exactly the problem. You're not going to get a big leader's attention unless you're different. We know this from branding. All branding is differentiation. Why do some people choose a product over another? Differentiation. If everything's the same, then you go lowest price, right? So you have to be different. People realize, first of all, they are a brand. And why? why so check it out here. I won't even name my hourly rate. It's, it's pretty crazy. It, you know, it wasn't always that way. I was a pastor. I was poor, okay? But I've worked my way up. I've added a ton of value to myself. And now I can create exceptional value in people, and they pay it. So if somebody says, Carrie, can I pick your brain for 10 minutes? Do you realize that that 10 minutes, the amount of setup 
opportunity lost. First of all, it's not going to be 10 minutes. It's going to be 30 minutes. Okay. So let's just say 30 minutes. You might be asking someone to give thousands of dollars worth of their time. For what? Because you're just saying, can I meet with you? You haven't even proven that you're a viable, let's just say if you were stocks. And you're not a stock. I'm not a stock. I'm a person. But would I just throw money at a stock unless I know it's going to perform? It's a bad investment of my time, which I can never get back if I don't know if you are a worthy uh, investment. So I'm basically saying fill out an impact filter to show me that you're a worthy investment. Well, I don't have time for that. Great. You probably wouldn't apply my wisdom that I would share with you anyway. You see what I'm saying? It's sure. Yeah. Going back to Pareto's principle, like 20%, the 20, 80 rule, where it's like 20% of the people, you know, produce 80% of the results. Right. Yeah. And it's just, there's very few people. Um, I was trying to recruit a guy to come on my podcast and I'm like, Hey, yeah. this just the other day. And I go, Hey, let's just jump on a quick 15 minute call. And he goes, I don't do pre podcast calls anymore. I'm an action taker. It was really crazy because I was like, wow, he just wants to get to business. And for me, I just want to get to business too. But he made yeah. himself really valuable to me. Um, yeah. And, and here's, really, yeah. I want the person to fill out the impact filter. Like everything in me is voting for this person. That's the other thing. I'm not like, oh, I don't care about this person. I actually am putting out little filters and tests, hoping and praying that they do it. Because I want to invest in those type of people. You see, you see what I'm talking about? Sure. Yeah, I sure do. So you've created this amazing career in this business igniting souls. Um, you've been a publisher. I won't get into all the details. I want you to share, like, what is your niche with igniting souls? Who do you help and what do you help them do? So our value proposition is we publish, protect, and promote intellectual property and turn it into 18 streams of income. And people might be like, whoa, what does that mean? Your book is your intellectual property. So I have books behind me. A lot of what I do is books, but I also do uh, programs. Uh, I do businesses, I do ideas. A lot of the world today is intellectual property. In fact, this is a pretty cool statistic, Casey. In 1975, they looked at the S&P 500, the 500 most valuable brands on the planet. They said, okay, out of these 500 brands and businesses, let's look at the asset spread between tangible assets and intangible assets. In other words, tangible meaning products, land, equipment versus intangible meaning intellectual property. In 1975, only 17% of the S&P 500 was intangible assets. Today, because of Web3, because of the Internet, 2020, they did the same uh, assessment. 90% of the S&P 500 is intangible assets, meaning that if you take my smartphone, which is over there, and I hold it up to you, 90% of the value is not in the parts and pieces. It's in the intellectual property surrounding the product. So I want people to realize that, think about that for a moment. Casey, what if I said 90% of the value of your company was in 
the intangible assets, the, the, the intellectual property. What would you think? I mean, you might first think of all, first of all, think that's nuts. Or you might think, you know what, gee, I'm not there. And maybe, and I'm not saying you, but maybe that's why companies aren't more valuable. Because the biggest companies, the best companies are intellectual property. Does that make so, sense? Yeah, sure does. So give me an example of a business that you've helped, um, whether it's write a book and then turn it into these 18 streams of income. And then who is somebody that should even consider writing a book who should consider creating IP for themselves? Yeah. So I'll take a person because maybe a lot of your podcast listeners are people. And then we'll talk about an organization or an enterprise after. But you take a guy like Justin Donald. Justin Donald, if people Google him, um, they'll find exactly who he is. He's number one on Wall Street Journal. We beat out Barack Obama. Uh, we beat out um, Dave Asprey. We beat out Bill Gates. Anyway, the point is this. How does Justin Donald, a no-name guy who was a Cutco knife guy, now when you Google him, He's with Richard Branson, you know, Kiyosaki. He's got the Lifestyle Investor. He's got the Lifestyle Investor brand, which means that he's got the course. If you want to unpack the 18 streams of income, he's got the audiobook, the hardcover, the softcover, the paperback. There's four. He's got a course. He's got a mastermind that you can go to his website and it costs $55,000 a year. And you might be like, that is nutty. Okay. Look what he's doing in the mastermind. He's teaching people and giving them deal flow that is not even on anyone's radar. So he has 135 people in his mastermind. Do the math 135 times 55,000 per year. Sure. And that's just one of the 18 income. And he was, he was a guy that had an expertise that you helped him turn that expertise into a book, which made him a best-selling author, and then turn that into 18 streams of income. He's got a podcast now. He's got a great newsletter. He's got incredible reach. He's Plus, he's a very giving, generous person who's fighting human tra trafficking before it was even popular. He's out of Austin, Texas. So there's a guy, as an example, who says, you know what? I got a message, but I need to get this message into a movement that's where you hire igniting souls and we'll take it apart and we'll say okay let's create a book let's create a course let's create an assessment let's create a free plus shipping book off um i've read that book lifestyle investor i know justin well um oh yeah yeah you do of course you do yeah so it is amazing how you're able to take entrepreneurs solo entrepreneurs and help them build a brand around themselves so how yeah. does this IP thing turn into this blockchain life that you've created? Um, we've never had anybody on to talk about blockchain or NFTs or crypto or anything like that. I'm kind of into that kind of stuff, kind of yeah. looking at what's life going to be like in five to 10 years. We have yeah. two young babies and I'm like, what kind of world are they going to grow up in? And I don't want to be like David Letterman where, I don't know if you remember that when he was on the Tonight Show or, um, and he had the guest, which is Bill Gates. And Bill Gates was trying to talk to him about the Internet. And he's like, I want nothing to do with this thing. And then here we are later. And it yeah. feels like a lot of people are like, 
blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFTs, yeah. they have that same kind of feel. And it feels like we're still early, like maybe in yeah. the 1990s, but this blockchain life thing that you've created, yeah, yeah. this book, yeah. simplify that for us briefly for people sure. that have never heard about the blockchain. Like, what is it? If you were to explain it to my my 70-year-old aunt, like how would you yeah. explain what it is and how is it going to impact our lives? So I wrote this book for my 72-year-old parents because they were saying like, okay, what are you getting into, Carrie? So here's the thing. I did not get it really into crypto. I didn't get into NFTs. I, I like people who do. Um, I think it's it's kind of cool, that whole world. But I I looked at it, Casey, from a utility standpoint. And I started to hear all these terms and I said, you know what? I publish books that there's intellectual property. I wonder if we could protect these books and these ideas through blockchain. And what I began to do is I began to look at the current ways that we protect intellectual property. And there's four ways, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. And because the USPTO is involved in that, you have a lot of friction. You know, I don't need to make any comment other than to say anytime the government's involved, you have a lot of friction. And friction means wasted time and money. So a patent today, first time patent has an 88% rejection rate. So you might be like, dang, you're telling me if I file a patent, 88% of it is time it's going to be rejected? Yes. The average patent takes three attempts to get approved. Guess what? How much it costs. Okay, a patent costs around $20,000 and takes one to three years without any rejections. And you might say, Carrie, how do you know this? Because I'm on a patent with my second rejection already. I'm in this. I know it. Okay, now why should you get a patent if you're going to borrow, sell, or sue? So you do these days, Casey, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, a, it's unbelievable you actually can develop what's called a patent portfolio. And that patent portfolio, when you get a patent approved, it has a valuation of around $400,000 per patent. And so there are people and there are companies who are building patent portfolios and then borrowing against that uh, for some serious money. Okay, so that's one strategy, borrow. The other one is sell. When you sell your company, if you do, and you have a patent or patents attached to it, it will value be a higher valuation. And then the last one is suing. If you have such a cool technology invention that you need it as offense or defense, you know, a patent proves that. But here's the truth, Casey. A patent is a nuclear weapon. It's, it's like overkill. And it's very expensive and takes a lot of time and a lot of money. So what did we do? I looked and said, well, why, what are patents built around? First to file. I'm like, that's interesting, first to file. I thought, you know what? With blockchain technology, you create a digital smart contract that's time-stamped and immutable, meaning you can't change it, and it's distributed and decentralized so that all computers in the world can see it and to change the timestamp, you would have to hack 51% of the computers in the world. I'm like, dang, that's even more secure than the USPTO office, which is one entity and can be hacked and, and things can be changed. 
So what I began to do is I began this journey, Casey, to say, you know what, I'm going to explore protecting intellectual property through blockchain technology. And really to explain to the 71-year-old or the 7-year-old, what is a blockchain? It's a public record that is decentralized and distributed. So therefore, the uh, immutability and verifiability is not able to be changed or manipulated by a bad actor. Which I think we've seen a few of those in our time, right? Whether it's yeah. in government or business. Um, yeah. And it's going to be a more efficient, more effective way to do business. In your book, we're going to link that in the show notes. Dig in. I've read it. It's a very simple read. You'll get the basics of it and also the different ways that blockchain and technology is going to impact your life here in the future. And just really amazing feedback. I think the first part of this conversation, Carrie, I got a lot to think about. Am, am I adding value first? Mm. Am I the, you know, the glass half full, right? Yes. That's taking, or am I the one that's giving? And yep. I appreciate you because you've challenged me on that. And uh, I am here to serve and uh, I appreciate you. So, Anything that you're uh, working on now that you want to share with uh, our listeners? And then also, where would everybody go to find you? So get this, Casey. Even though I love business, even though I love uh, entrepreneurship, which I absolutely do, um, God kind of threw a opportunity at me after 18 years of being rejected um, when I applied to be a university professor way back when. So 18 years later, that same university, I, last December, crazy story, but I won't get into it, but basically they asked me, look, we know you applied 18 years ago to be a Bible professor. We said no. You went out and became an entrepreneur. We have an endowed position. We've been looking for two years for a, a chair of entrepreneurship at the university, the same university that my son applied for and is, is going to attend. Um, we want you to be the chair. And I said, that's amazing. I, I'd like to consider it, but I would need to run my companies. And they said, we want you to, otherwise you wouldn't have credibility. So get this, Casey, literally Monday, I start um, as an entrepreneurship professor. And uh, I'm so excited. I can teach the next generation of entrepreneurs and still run my companies. And how do I do that? Because I have an amazing integrator, Sarah, who I think you you know of and have have met. So that's awesome. I'm so excited that I still can um, be in the game, but also be raising up the next generation of entrepreneurs. It's amazing. I remember us talking originally, and I think I challenged you on the integrator because yes. there's this book out there called Rocket Fuel, and it talks about yes. every company needs a visionary and an integrator, the visionary, the big picture thinker, the idea person, the one that's always thinking a year or two in ahead, and then the integrator, the one that's like doing the day-to-day. -day. And by you having that person in your business, you're no longer running your business. You're owning it, and it allows you to kind of teach the next generation. So one, great job making that investment. Um, yeah. finding the right person. And uh, that's super cool. So what school is this? Are we allowed to say? Yeah. So this is a uh, small Christian university called Cedarville. Yeah. And I do want to tell your listeners, though, I want to tell them the value you've given me because um, you might not even know the full story. But 
yeah, Casey came as a warm introduction from this other guy. So thank you, God, for connecting all this. But when I met Casey, um, he came highly recommended. I got on the phone and he just started giving me value right away. I knew he was different. We started talking about integrator because I knew I needed one. I was a little bit gun shy because I had two, um, let's just say two that were not the long term answer. Let's just say it like that. And so I thought, you know, do I even go with a third try? And Casey coached me, let's just say it. And he said, you totally, if you want to go this big and have these big of ideas, you need to do this. Totally helped me out. Loved it. Has also recommended a mutual friend now, Heather. How do you say her last name? Paraday. Paraday. Yeah. Yeah. Heather's amazing. And she helps out a lot of our clients. But I just say, Casey, that you are a value man. You are a value giver. And I would encourage everybody who's listening to this, review and rate this podcast. You know, Casey, when you said, hey, I'm launching a podcast, I hope, I think I was, I was one of the first people to give it a review. And here's why. Because you had so much stored equity and credibility in our relationship. You could ask for a lot more than the podcast review. Little things. I mean, Casey, send me the coolest uh, Yeti Igniting Souls mug. Like you just, you ooze show up filled up. So I just wanted to compliment you, Casey. Like you ooze this thing. I don't even know if you try to, but. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I'm here to serve. And I realize if, like you said, if you can help other people get what they want, you'll be okay in the meantime, Carrie. So uh, super cool to hear about this new uh, new opportunity at Cedarville. Uh, excited for that. We're going to put both of those books in the show notes, Carrie. And I just really appreciate you being a guest on the Dugout CEO. Hey, thanks for having me, Casey. Wow. We covered a lot with Carrie Oberbrunner today. Network is net worth and relationships matter. Really cool to see how he has become a sought out expert and advisor to some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Here are the big three takeaways that I learned today from Carrie. Number one, be careful and value your time. If someone wants a meeting with you or a cup of coffee or lunch or even 10 minutes, that time is really valuable. Be careful and make sure when you ever give up time or say yes, you're able to help that other person. If someone makes a connection with you, it's okay. Ask a question. How can I help you? What is the biggest need that you have? Only take a meeting if it has a defined purpose and a positive outcome is clear. Number two, defer the ask. If you want to connect with someone, get to know them first. Who are they? What do they do? What's their pain point? How can you help them meet a need or solve an issue? Everyone has one. And if you study the people that you're looking to connect with and make yourself different and unique in their approach, and you figure out how you can solve a problem that they're currently having and defer the ask and play the long game, you're going to be in really good shape. Everyone has a need a want, and a desire. And if you can figure out a way to meet that need for others and not ask for anything in return, you're going to be in great shape. Number three, you're a brand. What is your brand message? What do you stand for? What's important to you? Who do you help and what do you help them do, both as a person and professional? And what's your purpose? Can you answer those questions for your life and in your business? Be clear on your brand. Keep that message clear. Add value in the lives of others before asking for anything in return. Defer the ask. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. 
We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app. 